Hi, everyone. Before we get into today's interview, just wanted to drop a little reminder to stay up to date with all the latest episodes of On the Margin. You can subscribe to the BlockWorks Background YouTube. Just go up there, just click the little uh, subscribe button, or you can click the links at the top of this episode. It'll take you over to Apple, Spotify, whatever your preferred platform is. Just subscribe there. If you could, leave a rating and review. Really appreciate it. All right, on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined, as always, by my boisterous co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. Ah, boisterous. boisterous. I, I thought you were going to go with boyish because I'm wearing the hoodie today. Um, hey, you look good. And I, actually, I am feeling rather boyish. I, I, I'm over my cold that I got last week in Vegas. Mm. and um, I just flew in this morning from, from Austin. And, and I don't have to climb up on the chair today to do the sock reveal because... Uh, I was out putting up uh, Halloween decorations for my wife and the sprinklers turned on. So I got all wet. So I have the socks. So the, the funny story is so I'm in Austin, Texas. Uh, I pull on my, my Bitcoin pants uh, to get on the plane this morning for Bitcoin Friday. I pull out a pair of socks. And it turns out my socks are mismatched because my son, my 12-year-old, was multitasking while he was matching socks. And so I got the history of Bitcoin and cold storage. So you get a double sock reveal today, courtesy of my multitasking son. I thought um, you were going to say, because my mind is just like Einstein and I can't be bothered with the mundane tasks of matching my socks. Well, and, and to mental that, effort. Oh my God. Okay. Now that's, that's what he's going to go with. Okay. So now I got to tell my son that he's Einstein. Great. Yeah. And, um, but, but the, the funny thing is, you know, boys will be boys. He's literally in the morning. Okay eating his cereal. He's got a video of one thing. He's playing his game with the other and he's doing the socks. So total multitasking. And uh, anyway, but my wife said, Hey, just own it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to own it. I might start a trend. Uh, well, I know other people already do this, but um, maybe I'll just start wearing mismatched socks. I probably, my socks are probably mismatched about 20% of the time. <laughs> I, I, I know, uh, I, I know you were down in Austin for a conference. What, what were the vibes down in? So in good. Uh, you know, that's two in two weeks where the, the number of people was down. Now this was a, uh, a venture capital annual meeting as opposed to the Filecoin meeting, which I was at in Vegas last week. So the number of people was down, but the people there, oh my God, I had some of the most epic I actually, I had a life-changing conversation with Caitlin Long yesterday for almost two hours. Mm. And, and you know, she's going to change the world. But, I mean, it's, it was awesome. And I met this, this, this uh, young guy from, from Russia who is building a uh, middleware layer. Blown away. Blown away. Um, the, I, Actually, I'll, I'll show you a picture. It'd be people. I'm at the risk of like alienating half the people listening to this show. Uh, so there is the orb. And there is my proof of humanity. I have been scanned. I have been, uh, I have a, I have a digital ID. I listened to Alex Banya. Um, wow. I mean, just wow. I, I've never met Sam. I mean, no, I've heard of him. I've seen him talk, but I, I get to spend some time with Alex. I mean, that guy's brain is on another level, right? I mean, he was doing AI research at Caltech. Sam found him, said, Hey, come help me do this. And, um, I mean, I, so I'm, I'm, 
I'm not saying that it's the the key to you know global tranquility, but but I, I was blown away. And then there were a couple other guys that I met, again, young guys. Uh, and when I say guys, I mean guys and gals, but um, just unbelievable. And some amazing stats on, and you'll, you'll love this, right? You know, the permissionless and you're, you're an ETH head. Um, the numbers on ETH. You know what's funny is I get accused by every ecosystem that I follow and love and support of being a supporter of another ecosystem. Like I, well, people of course, think, like, oh, you're an ETH head. Oh, the, oh, the ETH people are like, oh, I know you love Solana and Cosmos. It's like, yeah, I like all of them. I of like course. all of them. I'm I, a supporter of all I of them. I am a technology, you, we, we are technology maximalists. I agree. Plain and simple. We are technology maximalists. And this, like I got another one this morning, you know, oh, you're shit coining again. I'm like, please stop. These people. I mean, again, you know, and then again, I don't mean this in a braggadocious way, but I own more Bitcoin than that person who's trolling me. And I also own a lot of Solana, not as much as I used to. And I have a bunch of ETH. And, but I will say, as much as I was starting to come up the Solana curve and, you know, the guy in the Netherlands had done a really great job, uh, kind of helped me up that, that curve. Some of the data that, that the guys at Blockchain Capital shared yesterday were, wow. I mean, ETH dominance is amazing. Developer dominance, project dominance, um, market share of, of NFTs, of, of everything. I mean, it was, well, actually, the, the only thing that I would say to that though, and I, I agree with you, ETH is extremely dominant, is it's also wildly consensus. Actually, the entire time that I've been in crypto, I've only ever seen so much consensus in one other period of time around one other asset, which was Bitcoin in 2019. And that's what ETH yeah. reminds me of today. And not to say, wow. by the way, not to say that Bitcoin didn't do well 2019 through 2022, but it underperformed most of the rest of the market. So I, no, I would just I'm say- you, but, but listen to these stats. Like, I mean, th this is, I, I, was, I was actually a little shocked by this. I, I would not have um, thought these were this done. So in DeFi, uh, Ethereum plus the roll-up. So that's Ethereum plus the L2s, uh, 65%. Tron, 17, like Tron, 17, Solana, one, Avalanche, one, uh, Bitcoin Smart Chain, six. Okay, for NFTs, ETH, 75, nothing on Tron, uh, Solana, nine, uh, Avalanche, one, and BSC, five. Stable coins, uh, ETH, 67, Tron 36. Yeah, I was not going to, because most of Tether settles to Tron. So. Ah, okay. Okay, so yeah. that's really a zero. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, just kidding. Um, uh, Solana 1, Avalanche 1, BSC 4, DEX volume, ETH 75, uh, Tron 0, uh, 3 for... Three one and then fourteen for for Binance Smart Chain. So I mean those are those are big numbers. And you know, look, there's there's just no way in my mind you can be competitive for the daily exchange of of value at the level of ETH gas, right? I don't think you can do it. So you got to have other things up top of that. Um, and that's why I think so. So 
like Solana seems so, so good for that. Um, but anyway, I, I just, what I came away from was incredible enthusiasm for the technology. I mean, this, this was a day of technology, all deep technology talks. And I went to the breakout because I wanted to get smarter. Cause you know, I'm not a tech guy on the networks and protocols. And they went into a discussion of ZK snarks, which I actually learned what S N A R K stand for. Um, Oh my God. I, they were speaking the foreign language. And when the guy said, well, you know, like polynomials from, from algebra, I'm like, forgot that like 40 years ago. I, I know that polynomials. It's, it's interesting that you're saying, cause the data points, I would agree with you as well. And just to give you another data point, what I, in some, what I think this is, is this is a U.S. thing. So for instance, we, and we talked about this last, last week as well, but we're in the process of launching DAS London. We've done London in the past before. And it's always like, there's some good response. You know, we usually get a little bit fewer people. I, I sent 20 emails out just like, Hey, wanted to, wanted to get a sense if, if you were interested in speaking with, I got 17 yeses already. People locked in. And these are, are just don't let them bump like, me. Don't let them bump me. Hey, I'm the, I've been hounding you. I've been like, man, can I get I'm my in. hard confirmed? I'm totally right, cool. All right, good, good, I'm good. Confirmed. All right. So, all right. So Mark's going to be there. I'm oh, confirmed. We've got, jolly we've good. got jolly good. Brilliant. <laughs> it's going to be brilliant. It's a, and let me give you a, let me give you a sense of the, the range of people. So we've got the head of global crypto trading at Goldman. We've got uh, the head of crypto at 0.72. We've got head of crypto at JP Morgan. So the big banks, but then we've also got the, in the weeds. They don't, they don't do crypto. They, 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 they tell us all the time. They don't do crypto. They, they, I, I, I actually am curious that I, I don't, you know, I would love to get a sense of the on the margin audience. Cause I'm sure many people follow Jamie Dimon, what he says about crypto. They've had a 200 person team on this for, forever. You know, they- There are more uh, ex-JP Morgan people almost than any other ecosystem people. I mean- Yeah. They've had a lot of people for a very long time and he bad mouths, but, but remember what he's doing, right? And this is what I had the long conversation with Caitlin about. He bad mouths it and he's got all these people working on it because they want to do the flip. They want yeah. everyone on evil coin, right? Which if, if you watch Mr- robot, you know what I'm talking about, but it's JP Morgan coin. And that's what he's doing. And, and there's some interesting things going on with the Fed and the you know regulators to try to force all of what we believe in with, you know, life, liberty, prosperity into this permissioned. I mean, look, I came away from, from your event in in Austin, back in Austin. So psyched. I mean, I was, I was like, be permissionless on my chest. Hashtag. I mean, I was like beating my chest about living my life permissionless. And I, I, I that, that's my goal for the next, you know, however many long years I get to live. That is it. But these guys don't want that. They want a permissioned world where they are in charge and we need to, to fight back, which we are. Um, but anyway, sorry, I, I interrupted. Yeah. No, no, no. That's that's okay. I I I think there will be. I think at the at the layer of where J.P. Morgan and these banks want to play, there will be compromises. Like for instance, most of the on ramps today, the Coinbase's and the Krakens of the world, they're centralized. And we, yeah. th I think there will be a market for centralized players that want to hold. You know, 
our grandparents' coins eventually. Yeah. That, that doesn't actually make sense for, and I do push back. I Sometimes I see people share, we should be pushing people towards self-custody. And it's like, in theory, I like the idea of that, but you're, the reality is you're going to have a lot of people that end up losing their funds. How but, many people keep all their money in their house? No one. Not very many. Actually, I mean, my grandma. Some, right? <laughs> my, um, grandma. my grandma. Well, you know, but there are some. I mean, there really are some. In Greece, it's actually a, a really high number, right? There were yeah. lots of people that took it all out of the banks and put it under the mattress. But that is rife with peril. And, you know, so is everyone having self-custody in its current form. In a future form of self-custody, where all of the hard stuff is invisible and there's a better system um, of digital identity and, and custody, yeah, then when, it, when it's invisible, like, yeah. like, when you first, I, people, most people won't remember this. Like when you had to take your computer apart to upgrade one of the chips or the, the RAM so it would actually run the new software upgrade. There weren't a lot of people that had computers. It sucked because if you put the screws in wrong, it didn't work. And if you put the chip in back, I mean, it was hard. And now you open your computer and it works great. And if it doesn't, you close it and you go get a new one. I mean, yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a tough, th and I, I think we're, we're, so I think there will be a, a sort of few, but, re, but regardless, I always think it's interesting to hear what big institutions are thinking about and talking about, because my framework has always been, some of them will not adapt. Some of them will, and probably it's a pretty good bet that the Goldman's of the world and the JP Morgan's are going to find a way to be relevant in crypto. Let's think about this for a second. How many ex-Goldman Sachs people are heads of central banks, heads of state, okay? Like, they run countries. So, I mean, other than the WEF new global leaders or whatever they're called, young global leaders, <laughs> I mean, which is an increasing number um, who are in charge, it's Goldman Sachs. Full stop. So the idea that Goldman isn't going to be not only just relevant, but large and in charge and, and BlackRock falls into this and there's some really funky stuff going on there. And, and further to my point that they will be the ETF that is approved and probably I'm going to stick with it only ETF that gets approved. The, that's what makes this timing. So, so this is happening in March and this is around the time that the- ETF Oh man, we're going to have so much group. fun. This is going to be a blast. And you know what? I just as a, just as a nerd for getting unique groups of people in the room. So in addition to the institutional crowd, we've got the Evgenies, the Stanis, so the sort of Wintermutes and the Aves speaking as well. Just a really great group of people. So if the institutional part of crypto is your scene, this is the, con and by the way, margin 20, because Mark and I, we just can't stop giving back to you, the audience. So Margin 20, it's going to get you a discount for the conference. You're going to meet us in person. We're we're doing a little bit of fun live podcast. So many selfies. Mark, we so talk we're going to do yeah. so many selfies, so many hashtag tags. I mean, it's going to be, be a blast. It's going to be a blast. It's, I, I, can't, I mean, it's just going to be amazing. Yeah, fish and chips, baby, fish and chips. All right, let's, because uh, we got to give the folks some of the, some of the macro analysis that they, that they come here for. Want to talk There's to you, been Mark. nothing it's going on in macro this week. I don't know what we're going to talk about. What's been happening? Yeah, what's what's been happening? I 
the what I want what I want to talk to you is about is this. It's the story that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, but it just keeps getting more and more pronounced. Is the long end of the curve and the sell off in bonds. So we had we had Andy and and Nick Jovanovich on the show this week, the the two gray beards, and they were discussing. I think I think the big story when it comes to bonds right now is the the issuance story. So they were both very good and, and sharp at pointing out that we haven't had a big treasury auction since since it was like Q1 of 2022. And what that meant was that you had a bunch of borrowers that did not come need to come to the market. Now that you have sovereign the the government essentially that's coming to the market. And by the way, for the first you know couple months of uh, or for the first part of 2023, you had Jenny Jenny Yellen spending down the TGA. So at the same time you had a little bit of sort of anemic QT, you also had a drawdown in the TGA that neutralized it. But now the rubber's meeting the road because that's done. And yep. now we're starting to see some pretty big uh, bond auctions uh, or treasuries auctions, rather. Yep. So I feel like that's the story of what's going on. And you can see the movement in the 30-year, the 20-year, and the 10-year. Oh, no, look, it's, it's a monster up. story. And I, But before we start the story, one thing, next time you see Andy, you got to ask him what level Pokemon Go trainer he is. And uh, <laughs> Somehow I missed that. Many, <laughs> and how many <laughs> accounts he plays. Andy and I... Not only do we share a great interest in macro, and we, we talk all the time, um, we also collaborate in Pokemon Go on, on uh, a pretty frequent occasion, as do I. Um, I mean, well, there's, there's a number of people, but, but uh, we have fun. That's where the real alpha gets shared, on the Pokemon Go back channels. <laughs> you know, it, it, you would be, well, you would be amazed um, in that, you know, Colleen, um, and I also share, you know, she's an, another venture capitalist. Um, yeah. And she is Bitcoin 21 million and I'm got Bitcoin. Those are our, you know, uh, call signs, shall we say, our trainer names. Uh, anyway, so here's the interesting thing. Since we recorded the last show, uh, how much are long bonds down? No, without looking, don't look. I mean, are we talking about the 10-year or the 30-year? 30-year. So I know post the geopolitical tension, they caught a little bit of a bid. I would guess, I don't know, yields are probably at 20 basis points, something like that? No, we're up 3.5%. Yields are down. Hmm. There's been a mass... So despite everything you said, which is true, and that long-term is going to be the issue, that there's not enough buyers and there's this there's this really interesting problem so we've alienated our formerly largest buyers of treasuries the russians the chinese japanese even the germans and, and the french and pretty much pissed off everybody uh, saudis and so who's going to replace that Here's a crazy thing. If it weren't for Tether and Circle that own 90, 90, $90 billion of treasuries, rates would be in really significant pain right now. And so, and, and I, I think the point you said that, that Andy and, and the guys were making was, was that the mix of short duration to long duration is really important, right? Because if you have too much short duration, 
you're forced to refinance uh, more often, obviously. And if you have to refinance into rising rates, that causes a death spiral. And you know what's really odd is we had zero interest rates on the short end and kind of two, three percent on the long end for a decade almost. Mm. Wouldn't you, if you were really prudent, have hit that bid and pushed them all to the long end? Like issued all 30, 40, 50, 100 year bonds? Why weren't we issuing 100 year bonds? But no, we kept issuing T pills. And I think we're at the highest level, is that right? The highest level of T-bills to, to T-bonds in history. So it's right up I, there. The, I think the, the level that Andy gave us was it, 20% is where it sort of tops out historically. That's just precedent. There's no rule that says they can't right, have right, a higher right. ratio of, of bills being very short-term to bonds being, being longer-term. And, and the, key, the key idea is that that's a, that's a signal of stress if that ratio moves too out of whack. What it says is, the the dynamic and the idea being, I'm showing, by the way, for those of you who are following along via video, the 10-year, 20-year, and the 30-year, and you can just see this, this you know, extreme move in in rates over the course of the last three months or so, which to Mark's point did revert a little bit in the last within the last week. But the the idea being the, the, the problem that the Treasury and the Fed are now facing is, you know, we are still spending like a drunken sailor, right? The way we, you <laughs> know because we keep spending I, mean, I, I, I think there's a perfectly sober sailor because a drunken sailor could not get to his wallet this fast. Yeah, I mean, we are this is spending, actually a calculating sailor. We are <laughs> we are spending like a sailor on Red Bull. Yeah, or, this or is something. we're spending like a sailor who's got like three you know side mistresses and he's scheming all of them for money and he's exactly. borrowing their money too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's as far as I want to take this analogy, but. The the point being the problem now is that the bond market has sniffed out that there's a that there's a supply issue, and what be, because we didn't take advantage of of basically terming our debt out when when there was a, a lot of demand. Um, now we're in this position where we've already issued a bunch of bills, and now Janet has this problem. I, I keep saying that that because the the Treasury is the issuer of the bonds and they run these these auctions. They have the problem of okay. So the market is worried, as you can see by by the sell-off in longer dated bonds, about they're they're worried about the supply coming online, but I still need to to issue this so I could switch to bills, but then that would signal that there was some stress or I was worried about the composition of our debt, and then that would actually cause uh, yields to sell off a little bit more. So that's the, that's the sort of situation. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code MARGIN10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. Do you feel like this is what the Fed wanted to happen? So the, the question was, there were a lot of headlines around, is the Fed losing control of the long end of the curve? And I, 
Now, I, I kind of think they probably wanted this to to take place because the, the Fed, what I think they've been trying to get at is tighten, tightening of financial conditions and demand destruction, right? That's the that's what they need in order to slay the inflation beast. And part of what's been stubbornly persistent about that is they keep yanking up the rates at the long end and they're inverting the yield curve, which you and I have talked about ad nauseum this entire year. But those long end rates are just stubborn. And part of that now, you know, with the benefit of hindsight is because the, the treasury is spending down the, the TGA and they didn't have to issue any more bonds. So we didn't need to find a clearing price for that debt. Yeah. Now, companies are going to have to come back to the market. There needs to be a clearing price for for term, and and that's what's happening with term premium is compressing. So one one chart that that Bob Elliott um, has been on the show a couple times showed this week that I thought was pretty good. One sec is, you know, as it relates to recession, one of the things that we've been talking about that we're waiting for is this compression of term premium, which is a bit of a wonky concept, but it's basically, it's the the amount that investors need to get, whoops, the amount that investors need to get paid in order to take on more duration risk. So this is now that we have uh, a compression in term premium, the yield curve is starting to flatten. What, what also folks have been saying is that, look, it's not from the time of the yield curve inversion, then there's some number of months until recession. It's the time that the yield curve uninverts, and then there's recession. And so, uh, and, and that's when you start to see um, initial uh, un- uh, unemployment claims move in the right direction. So that's what we're looking at here. This is the evolution of initial unemployment claims after yield curve inversion. And it's sort of showing that we are historically, you know, within the within the range of you know, 12 months to recession. Yeah. I, on one hand, this is compelling. On the other hand, you know, this is basically what we've been being told for the last 12 months. <laughs> you know, there, there's there's been a recession around the corner for the last 12 to 18 months. So. No question. Although I, the the thing that the thing is good about this is it it does put into perspective that it's always been true that it's not the day of the inversion or the the reinversion uh, or the deinversion. It's there is a lag, and and this is showing that. And and while it's not the the fastest to the to the you know exponential increase, it's also not the slowest. So it's kind of right there in the middle. And, you know, now if the next six months it stays flat, well, then this doesn't work. It's it's kind of like the, you know, the stock to flow model. I hate to pick on, you know, plan B because I, I like his work. But at some point, if the model predicts something and it doesn't happen, if it doesn't happen right away, it's, it's okay. If it doesn't happen after six months, okay, it's less okay. If it doesn't happen after a year, to your point, it, you know, there's something that needs to be changed in the model. And models can change. That's the other thing. Mm. Models can certainly change. This one's harder to change because this is really not a model. It's not a prediction model. This is just facts. Right? These are previous periods of time. And what we're saying is if history rhymes, which you look at the, the chart, it usually does. Um, and, and, the, and economic cycles do rhyme. You know, I, I think what's what's interesting about this one is everything else is following in suit except for the employment numbers, the jobs numbers. Yeah. Like, I mean, think about it. Everything else from, you know, shipping to trucking. I mean, trucking is just a disaster to housing prices. I mean, we had the smallest number of homes trade hands in the last hundred years, like sub 1%. I mean, so lots of things are all saying 
yeah, things are slowing. Again, it's not a calamity. It's more like an 01 kind of recession. But the employment picture is it's like such an anomaly. And anomalies demand further study, right? You got to pick yeah. them apart and say, well, wh- what's going on? And I've talked ad nauseum about the birth-death ratio. I think the big part of the unemployment numbers is most of it's fiction, but that's just me. I think you have to talk about the, the people coming out of the workforce, which is just bogus, right? When you turn 65, you're not out of the workforce. When you quit working, you're out of the workforce. But so there are some things that have never happened before. We've never had this many people over 65. Well, not never. I mean, it's been, you know, a hundred and some odd years since then, but as a percentage, we just haven't been because you know, the baby boom generation was the biggest generation until, you know, the echo boomers, which is bigger. So, but these, these are cycles. It's, it's kind of like when, when you have a lot of 25 year olds, you know, with certainty in 20 years, you're going to have a lot of 45 year olds, right? I mean, it's not like you might have a lot of 45 year old. You're going to have a lot of 45 year olds. And it's like convergence trading in bonds. If you mm. buy an on the run treasury, in 365 days, you will own an off-the-run treasury. It's not a question of maybe. It's just, that's just the way it works. And so if you do a convergence trade in 364 days, that will converge. The problem is inside the 364 days, crazy stuff can happen. And if you have too much leverage, you, you go out of business, but um, a la long-term capital. So I, I do think the macro situation, the... Um, who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Oh, Jamie Dimon, my favorite guy. Jamie Dimon. Now, consider the source. Why would he say this? Said yesterday, this is the most dangerous time in our nation's history in many decades. Okay. Got Bill Ackman suddenly back from wherever he's been for the last six months and back all over Twitter yammering about stuff. That's interesting. Again, these guys all come out around similar times, but, uh, and then Paul Tudor Jones was on TV and he's great. I love Paul. Plus, I wish I had Paul's accent. I mean, other oh than accent, which is the best accent, the, the true Southern gentleman act, accent is so good. And, and yeah. Paul's so good. And, and he's like supermodel handsome. But other than that, um, <laughs> And, and really smart and really wealthy and successful and all the good things. I'm like, leave, leave some for the rest of us, Paul. Yeah, but, come on. But he basically said, look, things are really not looking very good right now. He said, we have a fiscal, did he say calamity? It's a fiscal disaster. It was, a, it was some really extreme word, right? That we're in a fiscal place, which is what you started the show with. We just haven't been in. And no Treasury Secretary has really had to deal with what's about to happen, which is this ridiculous explosion of spending, no end in sight, and no one to buy our bonds, except maybe Tether. Um, and which everyone says is a fraud. Or us. Or, or, or individuals, right? They could pass a law. They literally could pass a law to force us to buy treasuries in our 401ks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they could also do, they could do something like, forget someone described, you know, I'm not, I'm not 
deep in the weeds of Basel and the banking regulations and all that stuff that mm-hmm. happened post great financial crisis. But I, I, I do remember someone saying, you know, if you were designing a banking regime that encouraged banks to buy bonds, this is a lot of what that would look like, you know, so. Well, they did. No, Michael, that's why we have the problems we have. And that's why there's going to be a boatload. They got to bail them out too. I'm sure that's why they got to bail them out because. I mean. They basically strong arm them into buying the bonds and then collapse the price. I mean, that's hardly. um, And, and again, if your goal is to buy them all because you're going to do a debt jubilee. Right. If you buy them all, right? If you own all the bonds, so you got both sides of the trade, you literally can cancel the trade. Bank of Japan is inching ever close. I think they're at like 75-ish percent. And that I believe they're gonna be first, and then we'll follow later. And then we just start over. And um prices will be a lot, a lot worse, but but we'll start over. And and the thing about it is the world goes on, right? There was a debt jubilee in the 1840s in the UK and the world went on and they became a superpower. They literally became the superpower. I think um, that's that's the thing that, because, you know, people make these proclamations that, and, and the implicit, you're left to say, oh my God, that's going to be horrible. But no, I, I, no. I, I've started to, you know, having, I consume, like I host this content with you. I listen to a lot of it on my own private time just because I find it interesting. And I, I do think, you know, it tends to slant a little doomerish, but I, I am, I, I think whenever you advocate for some huge, uh, huge change, right? If we're at an inflection point, yep. it's on, I used to be captain of my debate team. It, there's something called the burden of proof. The burden is, of proof is on you to explain why now is different. Like, why are we breaking from the regime of the last hundred some yep. odd years? So I think you should just, you know, add an, an extra, but I think that's what we're saying, right? Like, I think we're going to be okay, but there will be there, there, there will be, there, there will be changes. It's kind of like what we said last week. I would love a politician to just come out and say that. I would love, of course. I would vote for that politician. If a politician came out and said, hard times ahead, but you're an American, goddamn it, and buckle in. I'd be like, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Instead let's of, go. Now, the, the hard part is for the people at the bottom, it's not good. It's really not good. For the people at the top, they don't really care they they they're good the people in the the upper half they'll be fine it is really hard for the people at the bottom and look we've all seen pictures of the great depression the bread lines and the dust bowl and for the people at the bottom it's 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 super hard but and if you look at the pictures of of london in the 1860s right the people at the bottom you know, the Tiny Tims and and the Christmas Carol story and all that. It, 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 it's hard. But the country moves forward and, and moves on. And and here's the thing. And wait, we talked about this, right? The, the reason I'm so excited about what I call my chapter three is, you know, now I'm a, a venture capitalist, right? And what is a venture capitalist? It's someone who invests in innovation, but more importantly, you invest in human ingenuity. Mm. And the last, you know, 48 hours in Austin, oh my gosh, the ingenuity of these people building the future of money, of credit, of, of, of everything, of payments, of, of all of finance, right? Which 
you know, the, the internet of blockchains. So we went from the internet to the internet of, of, you know, think connected devices to now the internet of blockchains. It's an extraordinary move forward in, in technology and the innovation that's going to come from that. And, you know, it's funny. So, so the world coin guys are up there and they're like, you know, AGI is coming, right? They're big AI people, right? AGI is coming. Like, well, I'm going to take the under, but okay. You think it's right around the corner. And this is, you know, AGI is um, artificial general intelligence where the machines are smarter than humans. Again, I'm taking the under, but, but maybe someday, but they think it's right around the corner. And, and therefore, because of that, they are pro, they're proponents of UBI, which I think is the dumbest idea in the history of the world, because I think, and, and he actually said this. And so I, li- I agreed with everything this guy said, except one thing. He said, we need to have UBI be part of this so we can, you know, create wealth. Giving people money does not create wealth. It never has. It never will. Not ever. Human ingenuity creates wealth. Building companies builds wealth. Reinvesting capital builds wealth. Lending your capital out and letting people use it builds wealth. And Caitlin and I had, had our great debate on rehypothecation. And I've changed my view thanks to talking with her. You know, she's a one-to-one, no leverage, and I'm a, a 10 to 11 to one. And she convinced me that in a, in a push-button world, can't have 10 to 11 anymore. And I think I probably agree with that. Hey. But then she said, you probably don't need 10 to 11 anymore because we're not an agrarian society. We're not a mechanical society. We're now a knowledge society. So we don't need as much leverage. I'm like, I probably agree with that too. And, and that's, see, but here's the thing. I've had people say, on, you, know, you, you and Caitlin, you don't agree. I'm like, right. Why is that wrong? And then what do we do? We have a dialogue and a debate, and we learn from each other, and we take stuff away. And we sat there for two hours and had this amazing conversation about so many things. And I came away saying, you know what? I'm changing my mind. I still believe that fractional reserve banking is not evil, that it is not the worst thing in the world. It doesn't need to be replaced. But I do agree. It probably needs to be a lower level of leverage. I still think one-to-one is too low, but you know, we'll continue to debate that. But we're still friends, and we still hug. And it's just... The fact that you disagree with somebody, you should want to engage with them, not like run away and say they're stupid. That's just dumb. I agree. I agree. I, I want to bring us back to bonds because I've got some question for inflations on, or questions around inflation for you. But what do you think, Mark? I mean, have we, have we reached a, a peak in yields on the long run of the curve? Is there still more pain to go in the bond market? I, I will say one, one investment idea I've heard, I mean, you, you can now, maybe this was slightly before the the, the bid that that bonds caught this this past week, but you get two two and a half percent real yield on a thirty year bond. Mm-hmm. As far as investments go, I mean that's that's pretty good. I don't know what it's the market would do. It's pretty darn good. Look, investors to I, step in, and I I think inflation has peaked. Yeah, I think we're heading back down. With one caveat, if this skirmish, and again, I don't mean to demit, to, to your point earlier prayers and and hope for all the people impacted by this. I, I can't imagine Damn what's you. going on and having to move and be and flee from bombs. And, and I, I can't imagine. I, I've never experienced that. So I'm not trying to minimize, but, but right now it's a, it's a localized 
Well, it's fine. We'll call it a war. It's not a skirmish. It's a war. It's a full-fledged war, but it's it's in a small area. But if it expands to the region, oil prices go up a lot, like a lot, a lot. And if that happens, inflation short-term goes up and economic growth comes crashing down. And in that scenario, I think your point on Janet loses control and she gets stuck trying to thread that needle and people call bullshit and, and we're at, at 6% on the long end in, in five heartbeats. So, you know, there was a guy literally, I think right after we recorded the show said, I'm all in long bonds, 8404 on the TLT. Damn, that's brave. And he's been right, right? It's up three and a half percent. That was a good trade. Um, what, what does that do, Mark, to ask if the if the long bond continues to rise six, seven percent? And and keep in mind, by the way, folks, rate of change, right? The second derivative, Mark, that you and I yes. were talking about before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an important thing here, too. These are big moves, not only- No, no, no. That, no, no, that, that is, that, that's, that's the nightmare scenario, right? Right. You know, most people believe, and I think that's why wars are started, that war is good for the economy. It's good for stocks. And it's good for GDP growth. Well, definitely is good for defense companies. It's definitely good for auxiliary businesses that support the war effort. And historically, it has been good for GDP growth. And historically, it actually has been good for the stock market. I fear in this case where an expanded Middle East conflict would have such a deleterious effect on oil in a time where oil is still really important and where, you know, we don't have the strategic petroleum reserve and all kinds of other challenges. I, I, I just think it would catch people off sides. Mm. And I think we'd end up with, with the 2022 kind of redo. I could see a down 20% in equities easy. You'd lose at least that in your long bonds, maybe actually you'd probably lose more like 30%. Um, it would be, it'd be ugly. And the other problem is liquidity dries up, right? Because you got this commitment, you know, to shrink the balance sheet. Well, I think they'd have to throw that out the window. I, I do. Um, because at the end of the day, there are no buyers. So the buyer last resort has to be the central bank. And that, my friend, is just what Paul Tudor Jones said. That'd be good for gold and good for Bitcoin. And I love how I said, I like Bitcoin. The barbarous relics is what he calls them. The barbarous relic. It's the new the barbarous. barbarous relics. The barbarous the relics. The new barbarous relic. Now, the, there, hold on, there's a great chart here. I've got some inflation. But this, I, I understand that this is a, left side of the bell curve thing to show here. But the, uh, you know, we've we spent a lot of time the last year and a half talking about interest rates. Are we going to go to 5%, 4.5%, whatever percent? I feel like at this point, it doesn't really matter if it's 5 or 6% on the short end of the curve. I, I think if you look back in time, what we're showing here is the Federal Reserve's balance sheet. And there's this history going back all the way back to 2008. I've only got this going back to 2016. But you can see at various times, crisis, Enormous expansion in balance sheet. Supposed to be temporary, runoff. You can actually go back and look. Never temporary. They, they, they succeed in running the balance sheet off about 10%. Yeah. That's, about what they, that's about where they get to before 
the market just pukes. Yeah, there's another crisis. And and Michael, again, you're you're dead right. The, the short end just doesn't matter. No right. one borrows at Fed funds. At the average car loan, which is a crazy stat, it's like 17%. It's like, no, 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 there's all these zero loans. I'm like, yeah, rich people get zero, but the average person is not getting zero rates. I mean, they're paying double. I heard car loans can go all the way up to 29%. Holy shit, that's like a credit card. Oh, but listen, Bart, didn't you hear the good news? No. Paul Krugman told us that if you exclude car loans and food and shelter and everything else from inflation, we're, 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 the war's won. You know, at very little cost. I, you know, I didn't. Un, I've always wondered what it took to get a Nobel Prize, uh, and what it what it what it takes is just being a complete dolt, right? <laughs> I mean, that is one of the dumber statements out of a really, I mean, he has a, he's clearly a smart person. He has to be a smart person. He's a smart guy. I, I, he, I, I, yeah. He makes these statements like, you know, the internet will never be important than the fax machine. Okay. That was just a ridiculous statement. And just proves they don't understand technology. You find a lot of people don't understand technology. Okay. And then he makes statements during the financial crisis that were just like, Paul, really? And now, oh, if you exclude all the things that you buy, right, there's no inflation. Um, so, look, we've talked about this over and over and over. We have currency devaluation, right? That's what we have. We, we created way too much currency. And the Fed is trying to fix that. I, I actually give credit to Jerome Powell, who might be the only person who isn't in the bad actor group. Right? I feel like he deserves credit. He literally is independent. I think he means well. I think he's not part of the BlackRock, Goldman, Treasury Secretary, like billions cast. I, I, I think he re- and and you you saw it. he's trying to run off the balance. He's trying to. You know, he got M two negative for the first time in a hundred years because he realizes Kelton was wrong. Right, you cannot create unlimited money with no impact. That 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 was never a good idea. That was Krugman esque. That was that was not smart. And I, I applaud them, but it did create currency devaluation, and it meant the price of everything that people need: housing, shelter, food, transportation, went up a lot. Not because those things got better, because the money got worse. And that's, and to your point, what is the only response when things get really ugly? Print more money, right? That's the only, that's the only way out. And I mean, and it's just the law of large numbers, right? We created half a trillion dollars in national debt in the last, what, three months? Half a trillion? I mean, and someone put up, it like took, I don't know what it was, a hundred years to get the first half a trillion. And then we did half a trillion in three months. Um, I mean, the only thing that the only thing that makes me feel good about that is the opportunity in in data, where I think we talked about this last week, right? That from the beginning of time to 2003, five exabytes of data were created. Mm. Today, you know, Friday the 13th, uh, 2023, 330 terabytes of data will be created. So data growth is growing faster than national debt. So that that's a good you know opportunity for investment. But 
the debt problem, the fiscal problem, Paul Tudor Jones nailed it. And if you haven't watched a CNBC clip, you got to watch it. It's only like three minutes. It's not like yeah. a whole afternoon. Sure. We can like it. Um, and, you know, his conclusion is very sound, as it always is, uh, and very simple, right? You need to protect your wealth, which, wait a minute, somebody else said that recently. Uh, oh, Larry Fink said, you might want to buy my ETF, my Bitcoin ETF when it comes out to protect yourself against devaluation of the currency. Larry Fink, who called it an index of money laundering five years ago. Yeah. So it's a, you know, I'll, I'll give you the last word here, Mark. I think the, where, where my head is at right now is, all right, what, what happens if long bonds end up moving up? Sell, there's, a, there's a bunch of duration that comes onto the yep. market. Can't be good for can't be good for risk assets. You have seen, to be fair, as a staunch supporter of Bitcoin, you have seen Bitcoin sell off. Gold has responded in a more positive way. I think I think the question is, where do we go? Where do we go from here? Does the Fed get their demand destruction and it's a nice sort of soft landing recession ish, or is it is there is there some sort of break and it's a, it's a much harder landing? But conversely, the Fed is going to have to come in and, and backstop the system because. I, I, that's, you know, we've been talking about limbo and been wait, I, I feel like the next three months is where we're going to get our answer one in one way, shape, well, We're or definitely going to get an answer. And, and it's, it's, I'll use the, the boiling pot analogy. Um, we've been mired for a couple of years in the simmer mode. Mm. We're funneling money to Ukraine and there was there was some skirmish, and at first it was at, at almost a boil, but then it like really faded to total simmer. Like right? you know, no one talked really about it. There were fewer flags in people's front yards, but there was money still every month getting getting sent and recycled into defense companies, and their stocks went up. And okay, oil prices were stable. Now the the flames up a little bit. I mean. People shooting rockets at each other and, and killing people is, is, I mean, it's, it's escalating. And said if, it's, if it stays con contained, I mean, this is not the first time Palestine and Israel have clashed, you know, unfortunately. Um, but if it is spreads and if other people, like I saw a headline yesterday that um, Hamas had bombed Syria or something. No, Israel had bombed Syria. I can't remember. It doesn't even matter. Thankfully, it didn't happen. It was just a bad, bad headline. But if, if, if it starts to expand, demand destruction definitely happens. Forget the no landing. Forget the soft landing. That's a crash. Now, is it a, is it a Chuck Yeager crash where you can walk away and it's a good landing? And if you can fly the plane the next day, that's a great landing? I, I don't know. Um, but I... I would follow Paul's advice here. I would get hunkered down. Um, the nice thing is you can get paid five and a half percent to hunker down. And in a shameless self-promotion, right? Because I'm an investor in Custodia. Custodia got approved for a money market, five and a half percent. So people can invest in Custodia's money market for five and a half percent. And it goes to Northern Trust, right? Very safe and secure. Um but and there are plenty of other options, but that's that's a good one. And I'd 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 stash some money there. I'd clearly buy more Bitcoin. I would clearly have a little gold tucked away. Um and 
Short run, I like the guy's trade from last week to buy a little TLT. But you got to be nimble because if, if, if the skirmish dies down and we go back to Janet trying to place too many bonds, I think there's a lot more pain in, in the long end, to your point. And, and look, you've been beating this drum all year and, and you've been, been so right and it's been great advice. And, uh, and I don't think, like there, there are two ways long rates can rise. One is good, one is bad. The good is when it's rising in anticipation of solid recovery and faster growth. We like that, actually. Mm -hmm. And that's what you described last week as the bull steepener. Right. We love that. The other is not good. When, when a central bank loses control, and you've seen this happen around the world many times, it just hasn't really happened in the US very often. When the central bank loses control at the long end, that can get ugly fast because so many people depend on treasuries as their, as their risk-free rate, as their base rate. And so, and, and here's the thing, there's actually a bill that wants to destroy the, one of the marginal buyers of treasuries. They want to like outlaw uh, stable coins in any permissionless blockchain. Well, so you're going to vaporize 90 billion in demand for, for treasuries. That, that doesn't seem like a smart idea. So if anyone's listening, you know, from, from Congress, I would vote against that bill. Um, because that, that will cause way more problems than you think you're solving. Yeah. I tend to agree. Mark, best hour of my week, my friend. Always, always. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Take care. <laughs>